Chapter Fourteen of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshew and Thomas W. Hanshew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: The Spin of the Wheel. Merriton stood at the study window, looking out and pulling at his cigar with an air of profound meditation. Upon the hearth rug. Dr. Bartholomew, clad in baggy tweeds, stood tugging at his beard and watched the man's back with kindly, troubled eyes. "'Don't like it, Nigel, my boy, don't like it at all,' he ejaculated suddenly in his close-lipped fashion. "'These detectives are the very devil to pay. Get them in one's house and they're like doctors, including, of course, my humble self. Difficult to get out.' part of the profession my boy but a beastly nuisance seems to me i'd rather have the mystery than the men simpler anyway and fees you know are heavy merriton swung round upon his heel suddenly his brows like a thundercloud i don't care a damn about that he broke out angrily let em take every penny i've got so long as they solve the thing but i can't get away from it i just can't hangs over me night and day like the sword of damocles until the mystery of wind's disappearance is cleared up i tell you toinette and i can't marry she feels the same and and we've the house all ready you know everything fixed and in order except this when poor old collins disappeared too i found i'd reached my limit so here these detectives are and on the whole jolly decent chaps i find em dr bartholomew shrugged his shoulders as if to say have it your own way my boy but what he really did say was what are their names young chaps headland george or john headland i don't remember quite which other ones lake gregory lake hmm. Good name, that, Nigel. Ought to be some brains behind it. But I never did pin my faith on policemen, you know, boy. Scotland Yard's made so many mistakes that if it hadn't been for that chap Cleek, they'd have ruined themselves altogether. Now he's a man, if you like. Pity you couldn't get him while you're about it. The impulse to tell who George Headland really was to this firm friend, who had been more than a father to him, even in the old days, and who had made a point of dropping down upon him informally ever since the trouble over Dacre Wynne's disappearance, took hold of Nigel. But he shook it off. He had given his word. And if he could not tell Toinette, then no other soul in the universe should know. So he simply tossed his shoulders, and, going back to the window, looked out of it to hide the something of triumph which had stolen into his face truth to tell he was obsessed with a feeling that something was going to happen and happen soon the premonition to one who was not used to such things carried all the more conviction with cleek on the track anything might happen cleek was a man for whom things never stood still and his amazing brain was concentrated upon this problem as it had been concentrated successfully upon others merriton had a feeling that it was only a matter of time then just as he was standing there 
humming something softly beneath his breath, the cavalcade, headed by Cleek and Mr. Narkom, rather grim and silent, reached the gateway. Behind them, Merriton gave a sudden cry which brought the doctor to his side. Behind them, three men were carrying something, something bulky and large and wrapped in a black oilskin tarpaulin. And one of the men was Headland's servant, Dollops. He recognised that, even as his inner consciousness told him that his something was about to happen now. "'Gad, they've found the body!' he exclaimed in a hoarse, excited voice, fairly running to the front door and throwing it open with a crash that rang through the old house from floor to rafters, and brought Borkins scuttling up the kitchen stairs at a pace that was ill-befitting his age and dignity. Merriton gave him a curt order. "'Have the morning-room door thrown open, and the sofa pulled out from against the wall. My friends have been for a walk across the fens and have found something. You can see them coming up the drive. What do you make of it?' "'Gold, a accident, Sir Nigel!' said Borkins in a shaky voice. "'Adn't I better tell Mrs. Mummery to put the blue bedroom in order and have plenty of hot water?' "'No!' Merriton was running down the front steps and flung the answer back over his shoulder. "'Can't you use your eyes? It's a body, you fool! A body!' Borkins gasped a moment and then stood still his thin lips sucked in, his face unpleasant to see. He was alone in the hallway, for Dr. Bartholomew's fat figure was waddling in Merriton's wake. He put up his fist and shook it in their direction. "'Pity it ain't your body, young upstart that you are,' he muttered beneath his breath, and turned toward the morning-room. Meanwhile, Merriton had reached the solemn little party and was walking back beside Cleek, his face chalky, the pupils of his eyes a trifle dilated with excitement. "'Found em! Found em both, you say, Mr. Headland!' he kept on repeating over and over again as they mounted the steps together. "'Good God! What a strange, what a peculiar thing!' I'll swear there was no sight nor sign of them when I've tramped over the fence dozens of times. I don't know what to make of it. I don't indeed. Oh, we'll make something of it, all right, returned Cleek with a sharp look at him, for there was one thing he wanted to find out, and he meant to do that as soon as possible. Two and two, you know, put together properly, always make four. It's only the fools of the world that add wrong. If you'd had as much practice as I've had in dealing with humanity, you'd find it was an ever-increasing astonishment to see the way things dovetail in. Who's this, by the way? He jerked his head in the direction of the doctor who had stopped at the foot of the steps and waited for them to come up to him. "'Oh, a very old friend of mine, Mr. Headland, Dr. Bartholomew. Has a very big practice in town, but a trifle eccentric, as you can see at first glance.' Cleek sent his keen eyes over the odd-looking figure in the worn tweeds. 
I see. Then can you tell me how he finds time to run down here at leisure and visit you? Seems to me a man with a big practice never has enough time to work it in. At least that has been my experience of doctors. Merriton flushed angrily at the tone. He whipped his head round and met Cleek's cool gaze hotly. I know you're down here to investigate the case, but I don't think there's any reason for you to start suspecting my friends, he retorted, his eyes flashing. Dr. Bartholomew has a partner, if you want to know, and also he's supposed to be retired, but he carries on for the love of the thing. Best man ever breathed. Remember that. Cleek smiled to himself at the sudden onslaught, the young pepper-pot. Yet he liked him for the loyal defence of his friend, nevertheless. There were all too few creatures in the world who found it impossible to suspect those whom they cared for, and who cared for them. "'Sorry to have given any offence, I'm sure,' he said smoothly. "'None was meant right enough, Sir Nigel. But a policeman has an unpleasant duty, you know.' He's got to keep his eyes and his ears open. So if you find mine open too far any time, just tip me the wink and I'll shut em up again. Oh, that's all right, said Merriton, mollified and a trifle shamefaced at the outburst. Then, with an effort to turn the conversation, But think of finding them both, Mr. Headland. Were they very awful? "'Pretty awful,' returned Cleek quietly. "'Eh, Mr. Lake?' "'God bless my soul, yes,' threw in that gentleman with a shudder. "'Now then, boys, if you don't mind.' He took the attitude of a casual acquaintance with his two assistants who helped to bear the burden. "'Come along inside. This way, that's it. Where did you say, Merriton?' "'Into the morning-room. All right. "'Ah, Borkins has been getting things ready, I see. "'That couch is a broad one. "'Good thing, as there are two of them.' Two of them, sir?' exclaimed Borkins, "'suddenly throwing up his hands, his eyes wide with horror. "'Mr. Narkom nodded with something of professional triumph in his look. Two of em, Borkins, and the second one, if I don't make any mistake, answers to the description of James Collins, eh, Headland? Cleek gave him a sudden look that spoke volumes. It came over him in a flash that Narkom had said too much, that it wasn't the casual visitor's place to know what a servant who was not there at the time of his visit looked like. "'At least that's as far as I can make out from what Sir Nigel told me of him the other day,' he supplemented in an effort to make amends. "'Now then, boys, put em there on the couch. Poor things. I warn you, Sir Nigel, this isn't going to be a pleasant sight. But you've got to go through with it, I'm afraid. The police'll want identification made, of course. Hadn't you better phone the local branch? Someone ought to be here in charge, you know.' Merriton nodded. He was so stunned at the actuality of these two men's deaths, at the knowledge that their bodies, 
lifeless, extinct, were here in his morning-room, that he had stood like an image, making no move, no sound. "'Yes, yes,' he said rapidly, waving a hand in Borkin's direction. "'See that it's done at once, please. Tell Constable Roberts to come along with a couple of his men. Very decent of these chaps to give you a hand, Mr. Lake. That's your man Dollops, isn't it, Headland? Well, hadn't he better take him downstairs and give him a stiff whisky and soda? I expect the poor beggars have need of it. Cleek held up a silencing hand. No, he said firmly. Not just yet, I think. They may be needed for evidence when the constable comes. Now, he crossed over to where the bodies lay and gently removed the covering. Merriton went suddenly white, while the doctor, more used to such sights, bit his lips and laid a steadying hand upon the younger man's arm. "'My God!' cried Sir Nigel despairingly. "'How did they meet their death?' Cleek reached down a finger and gently touched a blackened spot upon Wynne's temple. "'Shot through the head, and the bullet penetrated the brain,' he said quietly. "'Small-caliber revolver, too. There's your frozen flame for you, my friend.' But he was hardly prepared for the event that followed, for at this statement Merriton threw a hand out suddenly, as though warding off a blow, took a step forward, and peered at that which had once been his friend and enemy, and then gave out a strangled cry. "'Shot through the head!' he fairly shrieked, as Borkins came quietly into the room, and stopped short at the sound of his master's voice. "'I tell you, it's impossible! Impossible! It wasn't my shot, Mr. Headland! It couldn't have been!' End of chapter 14